Hello, I'm Oliver Colling, and this is my 70s TV childhood. Hello and welcome back to My 70s TV Childhood, the podcast where it's okay to say you enjoyed the 1970s, where it's fine to admit you used to wear orange and beige as leisure wear, and where admitting to watching Bagpuss isn't greeted with a blank stare. I'm really enjoying taking our trips back to childhood, to the point where I sometimes forget that not everybody was lucky enough to be growing up at the same time as me. This week I was on a Zoom call where I was, well, let's say, by far the oldest person in the meeting. And when the meeting was finished, everybody said goodbye to everyone else one by one, which I thought was a really nice touch. So much so that I commented, that's a great way to finish, really nice. It's just like the Waltons. A comment which was met by silence and tumbleweed virtually rolling across the screen. Anyway. Thanks for all of you who've been getting in touch and sharing your memories and thoughts. After last week's talk about are you being served, I've been staggered by the number of you who remember Mrs Slocum's pussy fondly. A true comedy classic running gag, if there ever there was one. And don't forget, you can hear every episode of the podcast if you subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon and most other podcast providers. I'd also love to hear your thoughts on the show, which you can leave me at our blog, www.my70stvchildhood.com, tweet at 70stvchildhood, or you can email me, oliver at my70stvchildhood.com. This week I've been starting to think about Christmas, I know, I know, some of you listening might think it's too early. And for those of you who may be catching up on the show at a later date, you may be thinking, why on earth is he talking about Christmas in July? Well, the reason I'm thinking about it is that after a year, 2020, in which all of our lives have been disrupted, and many people have really had a hard time of it, I think that Christmas should come a bit early this year and give us something to smile about. So Christmas will be mentioned increasingly over the next few episodes. As a small child, Christmas is wonderful. Well, it's still pretty good as an adult, but we tend to be a bit more careworn and cynical about certain aspects of the festive season. So for today, try and remember the sense of expectation and excitement that you had as a young child waiting to see whether Father Christmas would call and all of the happy times associated with childhood yuletides. As a small child, I remember there were lots of stages in the build-up to Christmas. At primary school, we made several Christmas decorations. We'd proudly deck the classroom in paper chains and stars, and streams of bright green and silver tinsel. And at the end of term, we'd be allowed to take them home. Given that most were highly flammable, it's a surprise that we didn't end up burning the school down, or even burning our houses down, our homes down. 
But in those days, nobody thought twice about using paper for Christmas decorations and then having lots of burning candles sitting alongside them. We'd also write letters to Santa at school, not realising that they all went off to a GPO office somewhere where an unfortunate band of postal workers would spend months replying to each one. And then, of course, there was the school nativity. I fancied myself as a bit of a stage star when I was little, and I managed over the years to work my way up from non-speaking shepherd boy holding a toy lamb, via Third King, to the heady heights of Joseph, an undoubted star billing in the show. I even managed to play King Herod one year, and rather enjoyed the power trip of being part of the monarchy. The other vital pre-Christmas activity was preparation of the all-important Christmas list. In later years, once I'd become a bit more retail savvy, I suppose you'd call it, the Argos catalogue provided a great basis for present list creation. But as a very young child, I used to get very caught up in wrangling over the detail of the list. Was I asking for too much and being greedy? Should I be asking for a bit more in case I didn't get everything on the list? And what would happen if I couldn't decide on what should be on my list? I then struggled to decide exactly what I wanted anyway, and that's something that continues to this day. If you ask my wife, she'll tell you that I really find it difficult to come up with ideas for birthday and Christmas presents. I generally think that's because I'm happy, and happy with what I've got, and that my wants are few. But now, remembering the difficulty I had completing a Christmas present list stage seven, I'm not too sure. There was one section on the list which was much easier to complete. The list of annuals I wanted. Now, for those listening overseas who may not understand the idea of the annual, I'll try and explain. Every year, booksellers brought out special hardback books aimed largely at children called annuals. They covered a lot of ground. The comics I've mentioned in previous episodes like Teddy Bear Weekly, Disney's Donald and Mickey, and the football magazine Shoot all had their own annual. But then so did lots of television programmes, ranging from Scooby-Doo to Dad's Army. But amongst the whole thing, the whole marketplace, the premier annual was the Blue Peter book. It was classy. It was so classy that it wasn't even called anything so common as an annual. It was a book containing the highlights from the previous 12 months of the show. And I've recently discovered the 11th issue of the Blue Peter book amongst my book collection. So I thought I'd use it as a basis for going back and remembering the programme itself. For those unfamiliar with the show, Blue Peter is one of the greats of British children's television of the 1960s, 70s and 80s. It's still going today, but I think it's less popular than it once was when all the nation's children watched it religiously twice a week. The BBC started Blue Peter in 1958, as there was little television aimed at children between 5 and 13, and the corporation wanted to provide some interesting, stimulating and educational entertainment for younger viewers. It featured a nautical theme tune, Barnacle Bill, as mentioned by our guest presenter Mark in his recent programme on theme tunes, and a Blue Peter symbol of a ship under full sail leaving port, designed by the great Tony Hart a vision on and take heart fame. It became very popular very quickly, 
And when I first remember being aware of it, it was already a national institution, largely due to the high production values and the excellent hosts. Every generation of British children has their own favourite presenter lineup. For me, it was Valerie Singleton, Peter Purvis, and John Noakes, later to be supplemented by Leslie Judd. But for later generations, it might be Simon Groom, or Sarah Green, or Peter Duncorn, or many of the other excellent presenters of the programme. But that classic lineup was the heart of the programme's success in my childhood. Val was a class act. Well-spoken, kind and friendly, but with huge authority. You always felt she was in charge of the others, and she reminded me of a slightly strict but well-loved and respected auntie in the way she behaved. Peter Purvis was the lively, trendy young man about town in his velvet flares and flowery shirts. And John Noakes was, well, John Noakes, a unique man, who was always, I think, the most popular presenter of the lot largely because of his daring do exploits and his unwillingness to shirk any challenge, and later for his on-screen friendship with Shep, one of many Blue Peter pets. Leslie Judd came in after appearing as a guest when the team went to learn how to dance with the Young Generation, one of the, frankly, rather tiresome dance groups who appeared on Saturday Night Variety shows, which I've mentioned in previous episodes. At the end of the show in which she appeared, she then said, goodbye along with the other presenters and even as a six or seven year old as I must have been then I knew something was going on. She then appeared on the next episode and there she was on the team for good. The Blue Peter Pets were a great innovation. Apparently the producers came up with the idea as a way of letting children who lived in the new estates of tower blocks get to know what it was like to have a pet as they couldn't have one of their own. A very noble idea, I think, and one which gave us Petra, Patch, the irrepressible Shep, Jason the Siamese cat, and Frida the tortoise. I didn't know anybody who had a tortoise. In fact, I still don't know anyone who has a tortoise, but the excitement of seeing Frida being put in her hibernation box and then coming out of it several months later in the spring was absolutely brilliant. So what did they do on the show? Well, thankfully, the 11th Blue Peter book tells me lots about what happened in 1973 to 1974, and I'm going to share a few highlights with you now, some of which you might remember. Right, well, first off, we've got Leslie Judd, who spends a day with the 3rd Battalion of the Royal Regiment of Wales's mascot, a Kashmir goat called Dowie and she's helping him get ready for his big day, being inspected by Prince Charles at Cardiff Castle. Excellent. Oh, no, I do remember this one. John Noakes goes skydiving with the RAS Flying Falcons and becomes the first civilian to freefall from five miles up, the first presenter to speak to camera at that height, and the first to jump with the Falcons. Perhaps you can start to understand now why we all love John Noakes. There's a report on the 1973 summer expedition to Ivory Coast, now Côte d'Ivoire. Yes, the Blue Peter annual summer expedition went to discover exciting things in faraway places, and this time it was Africa. Oh, and here's a feature where John and Leslie tell us how to make pretty jewellery out of items of rubbish. 
typical of the sort of making activities that the show had on every episode. Ah, here's something I do remember well. The 1973 Blue Peter Christmas Appeal, The Stampede, where we were all encouraged to collect stamps and send them in to help the people of Ethiopia, who were suffering, unfortunately not for the last time, from drought and famine. Every year, Blue Peter had a Christmas appeal, and this time they're asking us to send in used postage stamps. In other years, I seem to recall we had to send in tin foil and milk bottle tops. The team measured progress on a giant totaliser in the studio, marking how many stamps or bottle tops or buttons or whatever had been received, and the nation's children tuned in with breathless expectation to see whether the ultimate goal had been met, which invariably it was within a few weeks of the appeal being started. I never stopped to think about it then, but what did they do with all those stamps and bottle tops? And how could they be turned into supplies for Ethiopia or minibuses for disabled children or whatever the noble goal was that year? I'm sure one of our listeners could help. So if you could enlighten me, please let me know. Well, the next item is about the launch of the Blue Peter 3 inshore lifeboat. Another regular feature was the programme's fundraising efforts to help the RNLI develop and maintain their inshore lifeboat fleet. Once again, very noble and educational. Like so many things on the show, it was about doing the right thing and making a contribution to society at a time when that wasn't sneered at by some. Oh, what's this? Oh, what do we have here? It's John and Leslie again, showing us how to make a Red Indian camp for our toy cowboys and Indians. Hmm, I think perhaps we'd better pass over that one. Oh, what's this? It's Valerie Singleton in Bath, dressed in Jane Austen-type Regency gear. Very improving stuff. Very educational. And, oh my word. It's Arthur Askey, helping the crew put on their annual pantomime. Wow, that makes me feel rather old. Arthur Askey, to those who don't remember him, was a huge star of the music hall, and then film and television, particularly during the war. As an aside, I saw Arthur Askey in pantomime, Mother Goose it was, at the Palace Theatre in Manchester at Christmas 1973. It's not that I remember the theatrical performance that well, although it was very funny, but more that when we got home, my parents told me that my grandfather had died the day before, and they hadn't wanted to spoil our big day out. Anyway, back to the book. Oh, here's John again. This time with a recipe for scone pizza, or scone pizza, depending on your preferred pronunciation. I have to admit, it looks absolutely disgusting, to be honest. But it was featured on the show as something for you to cook on the day of Princess Anne's wedding to Captain Mark Phillips, and to allow Mum some time to put her feet up and enjoy the day. How nice. Oh, almost at the end now. What's this? Here's a schoolboy from Desborough who's got a collection of light bulbs of different sizes and now has 250 of them. 
In a way, that's really impressive, and in another way, deeply worrying. So, if Peter Gardner of Desborough is listening, I'd love to know how many bulbs you have now, and whether you still have the enormous spotlight bulb given to you by the Blue Peter production team. Peter also seems to have a Blue Peter badge. Everyone wanted a Blue Peter badge, but I never knew anyone who actually got one. I still don't. The closest was one of my school friends who, when skateboards first became popular in the 1970s, somehow persuaded his dad to tow him behind his car whilst on his skateboard for two miles. He wrote a letter to the programme suggesting this was worth a Blue Peter badge and received a polite reply from the producer, Biddy Baxter, saying that not only was his effort not worth a Blue Peter badge, but it was also highly dangerous and probably illegal. Spoil sport. Okay, getting towards the end of the book now. Oh, and here's a final item from Leslie on how to make a write and wipe notepad using a piece of thick cardboard and, yes, the ultimate Blue Peter raw material, sticky-backed plastic. The result looks eerily like an iPad. Do you think Steve Jobs was a viewer of Blue Peter? I'll put a copy of it up on our blog and you can take a look and let me know what you think. So that's a quick look at Blue Peter's 11th book. From memory, it gives a good summary of what the show was about. A mix of education, doing good things for society, giving you ideas of things to cook and make, and John Noakes doing lots of very adventurous things. Like so many of the shows we discuss on this podcast, it was of its time. And as time went on, eventually the presenters changed and the nature of the show changed. But to generations of British children, it is a cherished memory of their childhood. And what are my favourite presenters? Valerie Singleton went on to be a serious TV and radio journalist. Peter went on to host Crufts. And John Noakes and Shep got their own show, Go With Noakes, which ran for many years. But none of them were quite as well loved as when they were all together. I'm not sure what happened to Leslie Judd, but I hope whatever she's done, she's having a happy life. ITV tried to match Blue Pete with a trying too hard to be trendy, Magpie with Jenny Handley, and two blokes with fashionably long hair, Tommy Boyd and Mick Robertson, but they could never quite find the magic source that Biddy Baxter had on the BBC. Did you ever earn a Blue Peter badge? Or do you know what they used to do with all the stamps collected on the Christmas appeal? Let me know on our blog, www.com my70stvchildhood.com Tweet at 70stvchildhood or email me oliver at my70stvchildhood.com Thanks for listening. I'm going to try and find some sticky back plastic to make my own white and whiteboard before settling down to a scone pizza now. Take care and join me again soon on My 70s TV Childhood. If you enjoyed listening, you can support the show by going to my Patreon site, 
at www.patreon.com forward slash Oliver Colling and registering as a supporter. For £2 a month, you can join the Tufty Club, get a shout out on the show, and have Bernard Cribbins narrate as you cross the road. For £5 a month, you can become a Blue Peter Badge member, get a shout out, appear as an interviewee on a future episode, and get to dance in the young generation with Leslie Judd. All memberships are fully flexible and can be cancelled at any time. Your support is much appreciated.